0: My name is Glenn from Seattle. I forgot to introduce myself the last time I shared. I was too nervous, but I'm okay now. We're going to be covering message five, the last message of this morning line. The title of this message is being with those who are sanctified. It's hard to believe that this is the last message. Tomorrow we'll all be going home. Some of you may be I don't know, excited to go back home? Some of you maybe don't want to go back home. Maybe some of you are thinking, what can I do to stay in the reality of the Jubilee? We've received so much this week, haven't we? We've seen so much of the Jubilee. I think many of us have entered into the Jubilee to some extent. How do we take with us what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've experienced back home with us so that we do not fall back to our former manner of life? Have you had this question? What can I do so that I am no longer enslaved under sin? Well, the answer is in the verse that you all recited. Acts 26, 18. So I want to walk with you through this verse again, to help you to see how this verse shows us the way to stay in the Jubilee. So remember, this verse has five keys, five items of blessing. What's the first one? To open their eyes. So on Monday, we saw that our eyes were opened. When? At our regeneration. When we were regenerated, our eyes, our inner eyes, the eyes of our heart were enlightened. To know the Lord. Christ was revealed in us. Is that enough? That was opened one time, but now we realize that we need our eyes opened every day. Every day the eyes of our heart need to be enlightened. Every day we should see something more with these inner eyes. We should see something spiritual concerning Christ every day. A day without seeing with our inner eyes is a day wasted. As we see with our inner eyes... Oh, excuse me. Let me, let me go back for a second. How do we see with, these, with the eyes of our heart? We have to ask for it. We have to pray. And so we saw that we need to pray genuine prayers. We need to pray um, prayers that convey the desire. Lord Jesus, I want to see. Every morning we should be praying, Lord, I want to see. So this is the first item. At the same time, we need to turn from darkness to light. This is the second key, the second blessing. Turning from darkness to light. How do we turn from darkness to light? Well, at night, in your rooms, do you ever tell your roommate, turn on the darkness, it's time to go to bed? No one talks like that, right? You never say, turn on the darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. So once you turn off the light, once you turn off the source of light, darkness fills the room. Then if you want to get rid of the darkness in the morning, what do you do? Do you open the window and try to get the darkness out? No, you just turn on the source of light. Once the light is on, the, light, the darkness scatters. That's in the physical realm. Spiritual realm is the same way. The darkness here is not just physical darkness in this verse. It's the nature of Satan. And that darkness is, we think maybe it's outside of us, it's in the world, yes. But also the darkness that we're, we need to deal with is inside our heart. We have darkness in our being. How do you scatter that darkness? You need to get to the source of light. And so in message two, we saw, the brothers gave us the verse that shows us where the source of light is. It's in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp so we have the word as the source of light how do you turn on the lamp so you have to scroll down to uh, verse 130 of the same chapter and it says the opening of your words give light so this tells us how we have the where the light is and how to turn on the light so if say this is the bible and you're in darkness light darkness light. By opening the Word, we get light. Um, Of course, this verse, uh, when it says opening, the opening of your Word, uh, it can also mean the unfolding of the Word, meaning that you need to to understand, the, the Word needs to be unfolded to you. So, but if you never open the Word, if you never open your Bible, how can you get the light? You can't, because the Bible is the source, it's our lamp. So if we want to turn from darkness to light, what do we need to do? Number one, open your Bible. Number two, read the Word. The opening of the words, the unfolding of these words gives light. Then it immediately scatters the darkness in our heart, in our being. This is how we turn from darkness to light. As we get into the Word, light shines on us. What does it do? We begin to notice our shortcomings, our sins, And we confess, and that brings us to the third key, the third blessing, and that is receiving the forgiveness of sins. And I appreciate in message three, the brother shared something that I'd never seen before. There's a connection between loving the Lord and being forgiven. We all love the Lord, right? But we all feel like we can love the Lord more. How do you love the Lord more? Well, you can say you can sing love songs to the Lord But actually, there's a direct correlation between confessing your sins and loving the Lord. And in Luke 7.47, it says, Those who have been forgiven much, loves much. The more we're forgiven, the more we love the Lord. If you feel like your heart is kind of not so warm towards God, it's an indication that you haven't been confessing your sins. As you confess your sins, love will just rise up. So to confess more, to love the Lord more, we need to confess more. But to confess more doesn't mean you just sin more so that you have more things to confess. You're plenty sinful. We need brighter light. Brighter light is what we need for more confession. The the light comes from the opening of the Word. So I hope you can see this progression of these items, these blessings in this one verse. As we uh, experience the forgiveness of sins, we also receive the enjoyment of the triune God. And that's, a sec- that's the fourth item that we receive in this blessing. We receive the inheritance. The inheritance we saw yesterday is just the, um, the enjoyment of the triune God. And we saw this. Uh, we saw this Wednesday. Wednesday, some of, you, uh, we, some of you spent some time to confess your sins. And the result of that was in the evening, the enjoyment went higher. Did you notice that? Some of you, I think, testified concerning this. As you confess your sins, your enjoyment goes higher. It's a direct proportion how much you confess, how much you enjoy the Lord. If you feel like, my enjoyment just hasn't been, and you're not enjoying the Lord very much, that's also an indication that we haven't been confessing very much, which is also an indication we probably haven't been in the Word very much, which is maybe an indication that we haven't been praying that much. So these are all... It's a progression. These are all steps that help us to to eventually get into the enjoyment to experience the Jubilee. As we enjoy the Lord, enjoy the Jubilee, enjoy our inheritance, it will bring us to the saints. And this is what we're going to cover today. Um, The last part of this verse is that our inheritance is among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So this verse, these... Five keys, if you do them, if you practice them every day, it will keep you in the Jubilee. It will keep you in the Spirit. And this will help you in your daily life to stay in the Jubilee and to practice what we've seen this whole week. You may say, well, this is hard. I mean, there's no way I can, I don't have all this time. Practicing this verse, these five keys, actually doesn't have to take too much time. I try to practice this every morning. And sometimes it takes about five minutes, seven minutes to be exact. Um, Let me share with you what what I usually do. Um, You know how Brother Tom Getz one night shared, we need to invent our way to come to the Lord. We need to find our way to come to the Lord. So this is the way that I I find works for me in the mornings. Right when I get up, I pray a very simple prayer. Lord, Lord, Actually, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't pray, Lord, open my eyes. Before that, I just pray, oh, Lord Jesus. I groan. I groan. And even before I can open my physical eyes, I just call, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. And for just maybe 30 seconds or so, I'm just calling. I'm breathing. It's really simple. Oh, Lord Jesus. Then I go brush my teeth and do whatever I need to do to help me wake up. After I do that, while I'm doing that, sometimes I'll sing, sometimes I'll call, I'll pray very simple prayers, Lord, I'm giving this day to you. As I'm doing that, once I wake up, I'm refreshed, then I come to the Word. So you can already see, I've already taken care of the, I've already used the first blessing, the first key. Then, once I'm awake, I open the Word. I don't read a lot, I just, I just read very slowly. Lately, I've been reading, I've been going through the heart of the gospel, excuse me, the heart of the Bible, Galatians, Ephesians, and right now I'm finishing off Ephesians. So I just open to Ephesians, and I start reading. When I read, I read audibly, not loud, but audibly, and I read carefully, and I try to read to understand what I'm reading. And so I'll read, usually I'll take it up to, I'll read a sentence, or I'll read up to a punctuation. I'll give you an example. Um, Let's say Hebrews 10 25. Not abandoning our own assembling together. There's a comma there, so I'll stop and I'll just consider. Not abandoning. Lord Jesus, this word abandoning sticks out to me, so I'm going to pray it back to the Lord. Lord, sometimes I have abandoned you, I've abandoned the assembling together. Lord, I'm sorry. Then if there's nothing more to pray, I don't have anything more, then I just continue on to the next punctuation as the custom with some is. If there's nothing that stands out to you or to me in this case, then I just move on. But exhorting one another. If there's something that stands out to me, like this word exhorting just stood out to me, then I'll pray it back to the Lord. Lord, exhorting one another. I don't think I've been exhorting one another. I've been joking with one another. I've been doing other things with one another, but I haven't been exhorting. Lord, I confess. And so as I'm praying over the verse slowly, reading the verse, the light is shining, shining on my lack of exhortation, shining on different things, and I'm just confessing. So I'm, I'm using the second key, turning from darkness to light. And I'm also incorporating the third key, receiving the forgiveness of sins. The longer I spend time in the Word, the more I'm filled up with with joy. So if I only have seven minutes, that's okay. Seven minutes of joy, um, it's better than nothing. I remember one time when I first discovered this, I spent at least two hours, and I was just in ecstasy. I was crying, I was laughing, I was happy, I was sad. I just, everything. Everything. The Lord, his presence was so real. The longer we spend time with the Lord in the word, using these keys, the more we're filled up with the enjoyment of the triune God. And the more we're filled up with the triune God, we will want to be with those who have been sanctified by faith in Christ. So this is something that we can practice every day. By practicing this verse, by practicing these five keys in this verse, We stay in the Jubilee. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, This last section, among those who have been sanctified in me, I I want you to underline the word or circle the word with, because that's what we want to focus on this morning. Being with those who are sanctified. A says, in order to experience Christ as the Jubilee in a full way, I want you to underline that word, full. It's two words, full way. What do we need? More personal time? More reading of the word? We need the church life. We need the church life. Church life is enjoyable if if we're taking care of our personal time. But if we are taking care of our personal time, if you want full enjoyment, if you want to enjoy the Jubilee in a full way, you need the church life. In particular, we need the church meetings. So we need to, um, do you always want to go to the church meetings? Be honest. You don't have to answer. Just think to yourself, sometimes you do, sometimes would mm, rather do something else. Why is that? It's probably because we haven't been taking care of our daily things, the, the praying, the reading of the word, the confessing. And then the, um, the forgiveness of sins. Why, do we, why are meetings so important? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we need to come together so often? There's a, a portion that I want to read to you that answers this question. It's from the book How to Meet. It's in chapter 1. It says here, Without meeting, there is no Christian life and there is no church life. Isn't that interesting? You may think, yeah, there is. I'm still a Christian. I still have my Christian life, even if there's no church life. But listen to this. It's rather difficult for any Christian to grow without attending the meetings. There's no way for any Christian to serve God without the meetings. And it is impossible for Christians to express Christ if there is no, no, meetings. The church life is a meeting life. When we read the first chapters of the book of Acts, we see that in the early days, The first local church, the church in Jerusalem, the saints were meeting daily. Every day they met together. So they were a sound and strong church. The more the church meets together, the more sound and the more healthy the church life is. So you may say, well, there's some expression, even if there's no church life. I express Christ. You express Christ, but in a very limited way. But you consider when People gather together. When the believers gather together and they express Christ corporately, the expression is much greater. That's the kind of expression that this world needs. Uh, even, you know, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, when, a, when an unbeliever comes among you, falls on his face and said, God is among you. How is that? That's because there's, the church is gathered together, prophesying, expressing Christ. Even today, you consider... Um, in this, in this training, what if in the evening you go to uh, the to State Farm Arena and it's only you sitting in, sitting in the whole arena and the speaking brother. So the speaking brother is speaking, but you're the only person, and he's speaking right to you. Do you think the enjoyment will be there? Singing, do you think it'll be that enjoyable listening to yourself sing? <laughs> maybe, maybe you like to hear yourself sing. That's fine. But the enjoyment is much fuller when we're with all the saints. This is why we need the church life. Not only is the enjoyment more full, the expression is more full. And the the life, the Christian life, is expressed in a fuller way through the church life. We have to have the church life, brothers and sisters, to live the Christian life. It's designed that way. God designed the Christian life to be lived corporately. Okay. B says the church life is a meeting life. We should never stop meeting. Not going to the meetings is equivalent to cutting off the life supply. Our life supply, on the one hand, is from taking care of our personal life with the Lord. But also, we receive the life supply by being in the church life. Uh, One says meeting is a characteristic of Christians. Meeting is to a Christian as water is to fish Air is to a bird, and breathing to a human being. Let's read two together. I thought this was really interesting. We should meet to such an extent it becomes a habit. I always thought that we shouldn't live the Christian life in a habitual way, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about making meeting with the saints, the church meetings, a habit. So I hope all of you have the habit of brushing your teeth. I'm working on that with my kids. To, um, how do you know if it's a habit or not? Well, the definition for habit is um, an acquired mode of behavior that is nearly or completely involuntary. So you don't have to even think about it. When you go home in the evening, You think about, hmm, should I brush my teeth or not? You just do it. And if you don't do it, you feel like, hmm, something's something's wrong. I'm missing something. You usually don't even have to think about it. That's how you know it's a habit. So brushing our teeth, we don't even think about it. We just do it, and we go to sleep. How about the meetings? Is it a habit for you, or do you think about it when it comes on Lord's Day? Hmm, should I do it or should I not? Do I feel like it? We never do that with brushing our teeth. "Mm, Do I feel like brushing my teeth? No, we just do it. Meetings should also be a habit. We shouldn't even have to think about, should I go to the meeting? Should I not go to the meetings? Do I feel like it? Those kind of thoughts, those kind of decisions shouldn't even be there. We should just think, it's Lord's Day, I'm going to the meeting. It's Tuesday, I'm going to the prayer meeting. It's Friday or whatever day, I'm going to the group meeting. It should just be a a habit because we do it all the time. How does it become a habit? I checked out life hack on the internet and I found six points that helps us to make something a habit. Um, first thing is you need, about, you need to do it consistently every day for about 30 days. So we've been here for uh, what, six days? Five days? Six days? Now we have what, 24 days left to make something a habit. We've been getting into the Word. If we continue this, getting into the Word every day, memorizing the Word or touching, reading the Word, if we continue for the next 24 days, it can be a habit. Secondly, it needs to be daily, not just once a week. It needs to be done daily. Third, start simple. If you want to make reading a habit or memorizing the Word a habit, don't try to memorize a whole chapter. It's, just not, it's too hard. You're not going to be able to keep up. Start with maybe just one verse a day or maybe half a verse a day. If you're trying to read the Word, maybe just um, whatever portion that you consider is simple. It's easier to start smaller and then increase than to have, uh, start out big and then fail. Third, fourth, we need to remind ourselves. Set reminders. Post-it notes, alarms, reminders. Reminders. Um, Five, we need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. And then six, this is the biggest help for me. Get a buddy. Find somebody who can help you to read the word. Find somebody to help you memorize the word. Find some companions, and we'll talk about this later, to go to the meetings. The meeting should be a habit. Okay, three, what are the meetings? So point three tells us there are three basic meetings of the church. Uh, Let's read that together. So these meetings, you notice they're not meetings maybe that are on your campus, they're not the club meetings or the campus meetings. Uh, we didn't mention the Bible studies or the, the worship times in your, on your campus. Um, we're mentioning the meetings of the church, so the meetings of the campus or on, your, on the campus or campus meetings, those are um, for students on that campus or for, student, for you all. But the meetings of the church is for everybody. Anybody to come. And there's three meetings of the church, three main meetings. There is the what again? The Lord's Day table meeting. And that includes, we've included here the prophesying meeting because in some of your places uh, we combine that together. The second meeting is the prayer meeting. That's also a meeting of the church. And then the third is group meetings. So I'd like to ask you, don't raise your hand. How many of you have a group meeting? Just think to yourself, how many of you go to a group meeting regularly? Okay, and let me ask you this. How about the table meeting? My guess is it's going to be less. How about the prayer meeting? Actually, I'm curious. How many of you go to the prayer meeting regularly? Raise your hand. Okay, so it's less than half. That's kind of what I thought. Why do you, the rest of you, why do you not go to the prayer meeting? Because it's for old people. The old saints go. It's boring. I don't get anything out of it. Okay, I want to share with you the purpose of these meetings. You know, these meetings have a purpose. And the meetings, these meetings of the church isn't centered around you necessarily. You have to look at the purpose of the meetings. There are meetings that are maybe focused on you. Campus meetings are focused to infuse you with the Word, to constitute you, uh, to help you, to grow in life. Some meetings are there to encourage you. But the meetings of the church may have a different purpose, a different function. And understanding the purpose of a meeting may help you understand or may help you enjoy the meeting more. So let's start with the table meeting. What's the purpose of the table meeting? Well, you have to look at... Um, you have to look at the word because the Lord instituted the Lord's table. And so in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 26, it uh, talks about the table meeting. Here it says, um, The Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. This do unto the remembrance of me. Similarly, also the cup after they had dined, saying, this cup is a new covenant established in my blood. This do as often as you drink it unto the remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. So in this verse, he says, do this. And even specifically, he says, do this until I come. So this is a meeting that the Lord told us to do, and he told us to do it, All the way until he comes back again. But in this verse, I don't know if you've noticed, is the purpose is the purpose of the table meeting. He told us the reason why we need to, and to understand that, I want to give you an example. Let's say you have a grandfather, and your grandfather uh, loves chess, and he taught you how to play chess. And every time you come with your grandfather, you meet your 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 grandfather. You play, you play chess together, and, he, and, you, and he's taught you how to become a very good chess player, and you guys both love the game of chess. One day, towards the end of his life, he's about to die, and so he wants to play the last chess game with you. And as you guys are playing chess together, enjoying the game of chess, he leans over and he tells you, I want you, every time you play chess, I want you to remember me after I die. What is he saying there? He wants to be remembered by the game of chess. Every time you enjoy chess, he wants you to remember him because he taught you chess. He he enjoyed chess with you. He brought you into the joy of chess. Okay, now listen to this verse. He gives them bread and he says, this is my body, which is given to you. This do unto the remembrance of me. So you consider they're eating the bread. And as they're eating the bread, he says, this do unto the remembrance of me. What is the Lord saying there? He wants to be remembered as bread and eating bread. Every time you eat the bread, he wants you to remember, Lord, you're the bread. He's reminding us that we need to eat the Lord. Every time we come to the table meeting, it is a reminder To eat the Lord. He paid such a big price. He lived a human life. He died. He resurrected so that he becomes bread to you, so that he becomes drink to you. As you eat the bread, not only are you satisfied, he is building up his body. This is how he builds up his body. This is how he carries out his economy. He needs us to do this. Until he comes back. This should be our view every time we walk into the table meeting. My wife, every morning, she tells me, Glenn, take your vitamins. Take your vitamins. And it's a reminder, I need to take my vitamins to be healthy. Every Lord's Day, it's like the Lord is telling us, eat Jesus. Take your Jesus bread. Take your Jesus wine. Eat the Lord Jesus. Start this week By eating Jesus. We need a reminder every week. We need a new start every week. Oh, that's right. Lord, I need to eat you more this week. Thank you, I can start this week by eating you and drinking you. This is not just for our satisfaction, brothers and sisters. It's for his satisfaction. This is the reason why he died on the cross. When he sees us eating him, it makes him happy. This is why he asks us to do this. And as we are eating him, he accomplishes his eternal economy. He's building up his body. So the table meeting, it's not a boring meeting now, I hope, to you. It is a crucial meeting where the Lord is building up his body and he is reminding us again to start a new week by eating the Lord for the accomplishment of his eternal purpose. Okay? What about the prayer meeting? Consider now all the prayers that you pray. Prayers that you prayed today, yesterday. What are they usually about? It's mostly about you. Lord, help me with this test tomorrow. Lord, even the ones if you're praying for somebody else, your friends. It's still revolving around you. It's your friend. It's your acquaintance. Most of your prayers, if not all your prayers, are centered around you. It's related to you somehow. And that's fine. But have you ever considered who prays for who, who prays God's centered needs? Who prays for what the Lord wants? It's the old people that go to the prayer meeting. And it's some of you who go to the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is not to pray for your needs. It's when the church comes together and prays for the Lord's need. And if the Lord doesn't have a group of people to pray, and it doesn't have to be a lot, it just has to be a group of people that are praying for his interest, then he has a way to go on. He has a way to go on in that city, he has a way to go on in that country, and he has a way to go on in the world. He needs people to cooperate with him and to, by praying on the earth. He's done everything in the heavens, but he has to accomplish it on the earth And he's limited by the prayers of the saints, by the prayers of us, our prayers. When we go to the prayer meeting, we need to learn how to pray with the saints for his purpose. To do this, number one, you need to put aside your own interests, you need to put aside yourself, put aside your tiredness, and exercise your spirit. Because prayer only works when you use your spirit. If you're not using your spirit, it's not prayer. So we need to lay aside everything. Get into the spirit. Touch the spirits together and then pray. Secondly, in the prayer meeting, you need to listen to the prayers of the saints. All the saints are, when the, prayer, the saints are gathered together, they're all searching. They're all before the Lord, considering, Lord, what are you praying for? And as, we are, as, the, as the saints there are gathered together praying and, and considering and, and searching in their heart, what is the Lord praying for? Maybe somebody has a feeling, Lord, I want to pray for this. And they pray a simple prayer, Lord, what about the college training, for example? And then someone else may join in, yes, Lord, the college training. And then eventually everybody starts praying for the college training. That's the Lord. That's how the Lord makes known what he wants to do. And that's how he makes known um, to the saints how to pray. It's through our spirit. We need to consider the voice that's inside your spirit. If you don't take care of your conscience, you can't hear the voice that's inside. So as you go to the prayer meeting, you should be confessing your sins. You should be confessing, praying, Lord. Then when you come to the prayer meeting, you're ready for the game. You're ready to fight. When I was in college, uh, I was living in the brother's house and we called Tuesday. Tuesday was a prayer meeting night. We called the Tuesday night the fight night. And we would go and the brothers would say, hurry up, finish your dinner. It's fight night tonight. And so we would go and go ride our bikes to the prayer meeting and we would pray. And so I learned in the prayer meeting at your age when I was in college how to pray in the prayer meeting. And I, I learned to really enjoy it. It's kind of like to me, it's kind, of like, um, it's kind of like baseball, batting. No one can hit 100 times every time a home run. I don't know what the... If you can hit about 50%, that's pretty good. That's really, really good. Prayer, in prayer meetings, sometimes we hit the burden, sometimes we don't, and that's okay. But I've learned times that we hit the burden, we hit um, the burden that the Lord has it's so easy. It's like going into the jet stream. You know, when, when planes take off, they're struggling, they're struggling. But once they hit a jet stream, there's a wind up in the, I don't know what sphere is that, stratosphere or whatever. The wind is, there's a constant wind that's blowing in that direction. Once the plane gets into the jet stream, it's so easy. You just cruise on that altitude and it just carries you. It carries you to your destination. The prayer meeting can be very much like that. We're struggling, we're rising, we're gaining altitude, but we're, you know, we're fighting. And then, ladies and gentlemen, buckle your seat we've reached re- We've reached our cruising altitude. You've hit the burden, and it's so easy to pray. And the saints are just praying, hitting one another, hitting, one, everyone's praying, and they're hitting the burden. And the Lord is just, um, you can tell the Lord is so happy. He's, he's He's uh, supplying the saints with the prayers. And and the prayers are just, the church is just praying like, like a cruising airplane. And so this is what the prayer meeting should be. And I got a taste of that when I was in college. Brothers and sisters, you need that taste. You need to go to the prayer meeting to participate in God's move. You may think, well, I want to participate in God's move when I'm older, after college. I'll move to some remote place, preach the gospel. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to wait to participate in God's move. Going to the prayer meeting, whatever night that is in, on, is a direct, it's placing your very self in the center of what the Lord is doing at that time. We need to have an uplifted, um, uplifted appreciation for for the prayer meeting. My time is almost gone. My goodness. Okay. So um, the last one is group meetings. What is a group meeting for? Let me read you a verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation. Let all things be done for building up. So the table meeting is for the Lord's enjoyment. The prayer meeting is for the Lord's move. The group meeting is for the building up of the body. If you come to the prayer meeting and you don't have a song, a hymn, something, then how can you participate? You're not, you're not building up. We need to participate in the group meetings to help build up one another. Okay, finally uh, on this point, we need to learn to function in the meetings uh, of the church, not act as a guest or spectator, but we should be open with our mouth to release our spirit. I just wanna read something very brief Says here, we must learn to continually say something for Christ in our daily life. Why are you so defeated? It is because you are so silent. The subtlety of the enemy is to keep your mouth shut. Speak something for Christ to the people in your class. The more you speak, the more victorious you will be. Learn to sing hymns wherever you are. You may say that you're not a good singer. It's okay. But there's no need for anyone to be a good singer. Everyone can sing. These two things, speaking and singing, will help you to be so living, active, and aggressive in the functioning in the meetings. Now, I wanna say something. Um, So I think there's two groups here. There's one group of you that are morbidly afraid of speaking in the meetings. And then there's a group of you that are totally comfortable Maybe even you like, you like to speak in the meetings. You like to hear yourself talk. You like to be known. So I want to read something for those who are really scared. It says here, Finally, when you are entering the meeting, ne- learn to never be silent. This is for you, those who are silent. You must oppose yourself you must stand against your natural disposition. Never excuse yourself by saying that you are not an outspoken type of person. At least you can say, Lord Jesus, Jesus is my Lord. Just say it, you can. Then we have a few at the other extreme. Now we're going to the other extreme. Those of you that have no problem to come to the mic every time. Okay, here it says, their disposition is to be so loud They must stand against their natural disposition to be loud and active so that others can have the opportunity to participate. We all must be different in the spirit than we are according to our natural makeup. You know your natural makeup. If I am one who is not disposed to speak in public, that's me, I must continually take the initiative to speak in the meetings for Christ. I must build up another kind of disposition if I am, on the other hand, uh, for whom it is easy to—if uh, I am one, on the other hand, for whom it is easy to speak, I must oppose myself. It is good for me to be quiet for a while until another disposition has been built up in me. Then I will function in another way. Brothers and sisters, you know your disposition. I know mine. Mine is—I don't like to speak, and that's probably why the brothers asked me to speak twice this time. You need to build up another disposition. A disposition that is totally against your natural disposition. That will build up the church. Because now you're functioning not according to your preference. Not according to yourself. Not according to your natural disposition. You're functioning. You're doing something that is impossible to you. But to, to the Lord, all things are possible. In your spirit, you can do this. You need to build up the disposition that your spirit has. And that is to speak or to not, not to be so prominent. Okay, now we come to the second Roman numeral. And that is companions. Everything that we've spoken of this week needs companions. Brothers and sisters, if you want to go on, you have to have a companion. So I don't want to speak too much about the need of companion. I want to speak more on how to have a companion. First of all, there's friends and there's companions. How do you know what is what? Which, if your person is a friend or if it's just a companion? I would say this, a companion is somebody that you can pray spontaneously. So if you're with your friends and it's just really weird, if you say, hey brothers, let's pray for this. It's like dead silence then you know it's probably friend, just friendship. You're not companions. But if you are with them and you bring up something and immediately you just start praying, Lord, what about this? Lord, and you start praying, then that's, that's a companion. And we all need companions. And there's three principles or three, um, yeah, principles for finding spiritual companions. Number one, seek companions among those who are believers, not unbelievers. Does that mean that we shouldn't have any unbelieving friends? No, that's not what it's saying. But remember, a companion is someone that you can pray with. How can you pray with an unbeliever? You can't. Let me give you an example, a testimony of um, something like this. When I was in college, I had had companions. I had brothers that I uh, lived with, and I also had brothers that I would do different things. I had brothers that I would preach the gospel with, brothers that I would read with, and... um, but I was taking physics, and uh, I was really struggling with physics. And uh, I met a guy who was also struggling with physics, and we started studying together. And we started hanging out, actually more than just studying. We started hanging out together. Uh, he was an unbeliever, and there was only two things that I have a problem with. Number one, he had a really foul mouth. He was cussing and cussing all the time. And then number two, he smoked a lot. And so first that bothered me, but eventually I just kind of, I don't know, became callous to it. So as I was hanging around him, the things that he would speak would would make my my conscience dirty. And then his smoking would make my clothes stink. So when I came back to the brother's house after hanging out with him, the brothers were like, Where have you been? You stink. And so Anyways, I would, but I just kept hanging around him. One night, I, I didn't have the, um, I didn't have the, I knew he needed to be saved and I wanted to preach the gospel. I didn't have the strength. One night, we were uh, on campus at night, we are walking across campus and we ran into one of my companions, one of the brothers. And I introduced him and that brother said to him, has Glenn told you the good news? And the guy goes, what, Glenn, are you getting married? I said, no, 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 I'm not getting married. Then the brother goes, well, kind of. (laughs) He's getting married to Christ. And the guy goes, Glenn, you never told me. (laughs) Anyways, whether I was ready or not, we preached the gospel that night to that classmate. He didn't pray that night, but it saved me it severed that we didn't we didn't meet so much after that but it saved me spiritually and it saved me from a lot of secondhand smoke so we need companions we need companions all the time if you hang out if you hang out with the unbelievers all the time that's the way it's that's the way you're going to go yeah um there's a, little, there's a portion here in uh, knowing and experiencing God as life. I'm not going to read it. I'll just paraphrase. But he basically, Brother Lee says, if you have a dirty shirt and a white shirt, someone with a dirty shirt and you have someone with white clothes, clean white clothes, and you put them together, what happens? Both of them become clean? Of course not. But sometimes in our mind we think, if I can be with somebody, an unbeliever, long enough, they'll become clean. They'll become like me. And not, it's not like that. When you have two, one thing's dirty, one thing's di- clean, what happens? Both become dirty. Brothers and sisters, we should have a burden for our friends who don't believe. But we need to have companions too. We must have companions so that we can pray for them. So this is the, um, this is, this is the first item. The second item is we should look for brothers and sisters who can be of mutual help. What does it mean to be of mutual help? Uh, we need to be able to... This next point, this last point here, or three, says we should look for three kinds of companions. Companions at our level, spiritual level. Companions that are more experienced in the Lord, who can lead us. And companions who are younger, weaker, whom we can lead. Okay. So, I just want to say that um, having a companion will help you greatly in your married life later on. This is my special fellowship to you all. I know it's not, marriage, it's not the special fellowship of marriage, but it has helped me. I think it would have helped me tremendously. I did have companions, but it didn't quite practice this, and that is learning to open to one another and to pray. Here it says we need to learn to solve one another's problems. How do you do that? By praying. When you open to one another... You don't just try to analyze and figure out how, okay, how do we solve this. First thing you should do is pray for one another. Brothers, learn how to open to your companions. This will help you tremendously in your married life. I remember, I'll give you a little story. I had just been married to my wife and we, are, we were sitting on the bus going somewhere. I was looking out the window, not thinking of anything. And all of a sudden my wife goes, what are you thinking about? And he said, nothing, really. Tell me, what, what's going through your mind? <laughs> so I'm not really thinking of anything. How come you never tell me what's going on inside of you? <laughs> like, what? Was just, I was so shocked. I was like, well, for 20-something years, I don't, I've never even considered of telling people how I feel. I myself don't even know how I feel. <laughs> but my wife needed to know what I'm thinking. She needs to know what's going on inside of me so that we could pray together. Brothers and sisters, maybe more brothers, have you ever opened up to one another what you're feeling inside? I, during college, I would always let the brothers tell me what they're feeling, but I never... I never had any problems, I guess. I just didn't, I wasn't in tune with my feelings. We need to learn to open to one another, to our companions and pray. Now remember, there's three types of companions and we need to have the discernment what to open to what kind of companion. We have younger companions that we are feeding, we're nourishing, we're taking care of. We have companions that are of the same spiritual level that we can help one another maybe to pursue together Most likely, these are uh, students your age. And then we have older ones that can lead us. And these are probably the older saints in our group meeting. These ones, we can open the deeper things to them. We need to learn how to open and pray. Open and pray. Not just our problems, but learn how to pray for other people. To enlarge yourself. Not just to bear your own problems and to care for your own problems, but learn how to care for others' problems, too. Pray for them. This will help you tremendously. I wish someone had told me this when I was in college. So I want to give this to you as my special fellowship. Okay, let's read D together, the last point. Okay, so we need to, when looking for a spiritual companion, we need to fear God. Respect one another, reject natural affection. What does that mean? Just pick somebody who has also a desire to pursue the Lord. If you have a desire to find someone to help you read the Bible, just find somebody. It doesn't have to be somebody that you really, really know or you really, really like. But it should be probably brothers. It should be brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters. Why? Because you are not rocks. When you put two rocks together, no feelings, no attraction. If you put two living creatures of the opposite sex together long enough, there's going to be some kind of feeling, some kind of attraction. And so you may start out saying, oh, no, I'm, we're pure. There's no feelings. But it never, I've, seen, I've been serving a long time, it, I've never seen this turn out pure. It always ends up in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, don't choose your companion according to your natural affection. Just If somebody has the same desire to pursue the Lord with, or the same desire to do something with, that's your companion. Amen? Amen. Amen.